Hey there, and welcome back to Designing the Robot Revolution. We got a treat for you today. Remember our fantastic episode with Pontus van Estol, where we talked about the role of design in creating AI? Well, it turns out that we had a parallel discussion during that recording about chat interfaces and generative AI that was just too good not to share. So in this episode, we'll dive into the fascinating world of chat interfaces, discuss the potential of generative AI and uncover new insight. Get ready for a relaxed and informative chat as we bring you this bonus content from our time with Pontus Vanestol. Sit back, grab a cup of your favorite drink and join us in exploring the uncharted territory of chat interfaces and generative AI. So it would be remiss in the context we're in now where the massive hype specifically is around generative AI and mm. the UX chat UX. So when you look at, I saw HubSpot, for example, released Hub Chat, I think it's called, where now you can do all of the things you used to have to do through a traditional interface of going through file structures essentially and you can just now through natural language ask for an email to be sent to certain types of people in your database and poof it does it for you according to the video so that and there's countless examples now of where this chat interface is feeding into existing platforms what's your take on that pontus do you think that is going to be a shift that we see now that chat will become a dominant interface and to just give a kind of example i think jacob and i have been talking about this a lot jacob loves the chat interface and i'm not so enthusiastic about it and we think it might be because i'm more of a boomer and he's a man child (laughs) but what's (laughs) what's your take on where we're going to go with these chat interfaces is it just hype at the moment or how do you see it that's a really interesting question. I've been thinking about it a lot as well, because I did my PhD on what mm. we today would call a chatbot. We didn't call it that back then. We call it dialogue system. And even before that, it was called natural language interfaces to databases. So to me, I, I could be... I could save myself from a complex answer by saying, no, it's not a hype. It has been around since the <laughs> 70s. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. And I think... Maybe, I don't know if it will replace or be bigger than your traditional graphical user interfaces that we have lived with for 40, 50 years or whatever it is. But I definitely, to Jacob's point, think that if you find a well-designed context for it, it has a tendency to feel natural. Hmm. On the other hand, we've also seen before ChatGPT, we've been walking around with Siri and Google Now and Alexa for a number of years. And maybe those didn't feel very natural. I still don't talk to Siri (laughs) that much. But ChatGPT was in a number of ways. And here we will return to the design material aspect. I think ChatGPT, in that web browsing context, the way the text is typed out as you read it, those are UX-specific things that you can do with a material like that. And remember, Siri doesn't do that, right? If you analyze the interactions, compare ChatGPT with Siri, you find a lot of differences. And I think the key sometimes is in those small nuanced details. And also, I think if we arrive at a fairly good standard, just like Microsoft Windows and Apple and even Sun 
in the 90s, they arrived at this set of window icon menu pointer, the WIMP metaphor. And, and then that became the standard. And now, after a few years, we, can, we, we have a tendency to see that, yeah, that's a natural interface. It wasn't that natural when it came out. And I still, I, one of my favorite anecdotes <laughs> is my, my grandfather, before he died, he, he was exposed to Microsoft Windows. And I explained to him the concept of, this is your desktop, and here is your trash can. And he was like, but why is the trash can on the desktop? I don't have a trash can on my desktop. So the issue of being natural is also a fleeting target. We get used to standards. That's what I would say. And after a while, we consider that to be natural or not. And I, th I think for me, and I just want to try this one out on you guys, basically, is I was trying to come up with a way to, to convince David that chat really is great. And the example that I came up with was in the car. You really want, if you're going to break the car, you really want to push a physical button. That's seems to me like a logical way of doing that. You want to instantaneously, physically, you want to be able to practice that as an action. Whereas driving somewhere and getting the directions through the GPS is more, it's more of a multi-step thing that you need to perform. And then that could be a good use case for using chat because you're driving and it helps you there, but not necessarily, you don't want to tell the car to break. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. And you're pointing to something that is tying into the distinction between automation and augmentation, because that incremental refinement through dialogue, that's what's really powerful when it comes to the dialogue model or the chat model. And I think that's really why we see this prompt engineering is becoming a skill set, being a really good prompter, and you can do sequential prompting to chat GPT, for example. And I think that speaks to the power of being a good generative AI user is your ability to, in sequence and gradually building up something. It's the same with mid-journey. You can just put your first initial prompt into mid-journey and be happy with the result, right? But if you're a really good mid-journey, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say mid-journey artist here, and I know I will get half of all the visual <laughs> designers against me now, but you could be a good mid-journey artist by doing iterative prompting and really refine whatever the output is and become almost like a mid-journey magician. So mm. uh, that's not like breaking with a pump on the brake with your foot. It's more like the navigation in the GPS sense that you want to, in general, say, yeah, we're going here. And then after a while you realize, yeah, we need to stop for uh, snacks. And we take a, there's a roadblock coming up. So we want to change the way. It's sort of an ongoing, more of a conversation and that's when chat feels very natural and it, it can help you refine the user experience over time. So I think yeah, the, that, that's a good metaphor, mm. Jacob, with the brake and the navigation system. It could be generational changes as well. Like anecdotally, it's very young children are using the home echo, talking to Amazon mm -hmm. and very used to asking for songs or playing things through that. Mm -hmm. So they've grown up with this. And so it will be more things will feel natural to younger generations. And that also how younger generations don't aren't used to file structures. They're used to searching for everything. And that will probably become more and more things will become more naturally led towards chat, I would have thought. I'm old enough to have been <laughs> growing up with 
yeah, you should have a great file structure and it should survive like a well-designed library system. But the services that I use tend to push me into be more tag-oriented or search-oriented. Like my poor mm. file structure that kind of survives over the years, it feels more and more arcane for every day, actually. I, a lot of other services I use, they are based on tags and search instead. And yeah, I guess it's up to... <laughs> anyone to to do that but if you're a designer designing these kinds of systems you have to realize what your target users or audience prefer or are being benefited for you have a choice there if you build an intranet or if you build a any kind of enterprise back-end system you have a choice on how to structure that information and user research is the way to go there to get insights on so how do my users want to structure their information and what is beneficial for the company? When you look at AI as a design material, it has some, some aspects to it that is uncomfortable to, to me and many of our colleagues in the design community. And that is, among other things, it's not really explainable. You can't look at the design material and say what it has done or what has been done to it. It's unclear. How do we deal with that? Yeah, that, that is, and again, this is the kind of machine learning that is the rage now. That is really black boxed. If you go to other kinds of like symbolic AI, for example, that's very readable by, by humans as well. And actually there are some voices that are advocating for combining symbolic AI with <clears throat> data-driven machine learning because of the explainability. You can actually use an AI to make sense out of the machine learning. But that, yeah, that is a problem. And there are some guidelines. I've tried to collect the ones, at least that was state of the art when I wrote the book, that you can explain certain things about the decision process. There is a subfield in AI called explainable AI or XAI. The problem with XAI is that it's still fairly complicated for non-AI people to understand what the output of an XI system actually is. So we still need to tailor that explanation in a language or in a way that is understandable by, by our perhaps non-technical target group. And you can do that in a number of ways. You can say that you can preface the whole service and say that in general, we are about 80% certain of any prediction we make. And then you can, in the special case, say that the, I am very sure about this, or I'm on the edge here, so you need to make your own judgment or something like that. So you... Again, going back to the more the, of the conversational style of interacting, the, the system can actually trim a little bit and say that, okay, so now we're entering territory that I'm not trained on, for example, which means that you need to take my output with a grain of salt. And by the way, ChatGPT is notoriously <laughs> bad at that. It, can, it doesn't really say a lot about its shortcomings, more than the general preface in the beginning. But it can provide with, some people have called it chat splain. What is it called? GPT splaining or something like that? Mm. Like mansplaining, but with, with, because it's so confident in mm. what it produces. You take it as a user, you're trusting it, right? But it's full of uh, lies and uh, erroneous information and so on. So I think we need to be better at communicating how, what's the truth value to this. And I know that some people use ChatGPT in the way they use Google, for example, which mm. I think is a mistake because Google is actually bringing published material to your screen. 
it searches things and it brings it. But whereas ChatGPT is obviously just generating based on likelihoods, based on what you've wrote, what you've written here, the likelihood for this phrase to be the next one is high. So that's why I generate it. That means it can generate complete lies, right? If you view ChatGPT as a search engine, you're, you're, you're not understanding what GPT actually is. The word for that is hallucination. So when ChatGPT is generating erroneous things, you call it a hallucination. For example, I talked to ChatGPT and asked about myself, like you do, <laughs> Google yourself, right? And it said that I was a soccer player from Hamsta. And I'm like, mm. no, I'd never played soccer in my life. <laughs> but I don't know what happened there. But maybe there is another Pontus famous from Hamsta playing soccer. I don't know. But it without a without any hesitation, it just fabricated this piece of knowledge. <laughs> so is there a case like given all this, given that we know that ChatGTP will give you lies and that there is uncertainty on how like it's scary if you put generative AI or some other machine learning thing on, for example, medical records and you get this uncertainty, it's scary. Could you still make the argument that we can be okay with that because the outcomes are generally good? Is that a mm. valid perspective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. That's like we saw the same discussion with self-driving cars a couple of years ago, right? With saying that, yeah, if a self-driving car, if we implement self-driving cars, the number of accidents will go down. But that that is... For a person who is affected by a self-driving car uh, hitting you or killing a close one, that's a very limited comfort to say that, yeah, but in general, we've the, all the accidents are lower. And it's the same thing here that, yeah, sure, you can statistically say that we are in a better place now, but there is something about having an AI kill you <laughs> rather than a human killing you. There is something about our... I guess our natural sense of morality and ethics that makes that conversation very hard. And I'm not entirely sure how we're going to get out of it, but in, I, I probably can say that if you are a designer designing these kinds of systems, mm. then you have to make sure that you are putting the human operator at center so that they can make the judgments based on the AI's predictions. Because right. if you shortcut and say that the AI takes all the decisions, then you're on very thin ice. But if you are augmenting a skilled human to make better judgments with a well-designed prediction based on AI, then right. you're in a good place, I think. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting because that's how you could tend to see ChatGTP being used now as well. People are getting a, whole, a hangout of how to use it. And there are some pretty good and factually correct stuff being generated together with ChatGTP rather than by yeah. ChatGTP. And I think, yeah. The, and also, I, I get I get a fair amount of messages from people having the, the other day someone wrote to me. Yeah, I wrote a political no ChatGPT wrote a political petition regarding I don't know something environmental in the city or something. Right and. He, conclusion that person made was like, so we don't need politicians anymore. And I'm like, no, that's not really mm. what this means. This means that now perhaps politicians have a better tool or the citizens have a better tool to write their own petitions, but that doesn't take away 
the need for a good politician, no. right? We still need leaders in our society and we still need experts, human experts in all the different branches. So I get a little worried that people get carried away right. with ChatGPT's ability to generate good text. That's not the same as removing all of a sudden complete jobs or fields of discipline. Yeah, because it doesn't have any reason for writing that petition. It doesn't care about the outcome of that petition. So it's really bad. Yeah, uh, and all those systems currently are trained on historical materials. So the level of innovation will always be fairly low, hmm. right? It's a repetition. It's like minced meat of old texts. That's what it is. And it's nothing wrong with that. It can be very powerful in the hands of an intelligent person making use of it. So um, I guess you've all heard the, yeah, AI is not taking your jobs. A person using AI will take your job. That kind of sentiment is what we probably allude to here, that it's a human plus an AI. That's the powerful combination, not AI in itself, because it's fairly limited when you stress test it. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of Designing the Robot Revolution. If you did, don't hesitate to share it in your Slack channels or your team meetings. 